0: But this morning, so, actually, let me just say, for the last two weeks, we began this series. The first week was this centrality on the Word of God, and we worked through specific texts that encourage us, encourage us to be healthy with each other, healthy in our relationship with God, but also then um, encouraging others and and missional in our community and communities throughout the world. Then last week, many of you here remember, we talked about heartfelt worship, and we focused on gratitude, that oftentimes when we take for granted what Christ has done for us, that we become um, more critical of things or more, I'm not sure I like that music or I don't like the way we say that or pray that. or. But when we focus on gratitude, those things start to, to fall to the background. This morning, we're focusing again on, on this life-transforming walk with Jesus. And you'll notice that all three of these things have mostly to do with our relationship with God, mostly to do with us and our, how we relate to God, but also how we relate to each other. Well, we have a special guest today. Chad's coming. He's going to be preaching... Um, with us talking about this abiding life in Christ, and it fits perfectly with this idea of life transforming walk with Jesus. So, Chad, if you would. Right. Come.
1: Thank you. Well, good morning. Do I have this thing on properly? Is that on, Is that on now? Is that all right? Good morning. Good morning. Well, I feel like the message already been preached already. <laughs> After those baptisms, those testimonies, that was wonderful, wasn't it? I don't know that you need to really hear from me. I think that was enough. That was good. Well, thanks for having me come to be with you today. Um, it's a joy, and I guess I could turn this off, eh? Is that all right? Um, it's a real joy and privilege, actually. In fact, everywhere that, uh, that God sends me, it, it really is an honor and a privilege for me to come and, and share um, what He's been showing me, what He's been teaching me, and uh, to come here and share that with you as family. Um, is a wonderful thing. In fact, I was in, uh, I was in Denmark a couple of years ago, a few years ago, maybe it was three, four years ago now. And, um, and I got there, and my wife had called me up after about a day or two, and she said, she goes, how, how is it going over there? I said, well, I'm home. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I've come home. And she goes, Chad, can you just, what are you talking about? I said, God brought me a revelation. I realize everywhere I go, I'm with family. And wherever family is, home is. Because I'm always with the family of God. So I've come home here. Well, I feel the same way here this morning. I've just come home. You're all family. My brothers and sisters in Christ. And so thank you for having me come home here with you today. It's a joy for me to be with you. Amen. And, uh, and uh, that, that has brought more and more meaning as the years go by. That, that truly, You'll hear me say brother and sister a lot. Because I made a decision over a decade ago. Maybe if I say it, perhaps I'll live like that. And you know, I can honestly say this become true. That we really are family. That we are brothers and sisters. And that's the truest nature of our relationship. Amen? Amen. And so we're just going to have a fun time as family. And we're going to sit at the feet of Christ and hear from Him. Um, I come with a very simple message. Everywhere I go, I share a very simple message. I don't share a complicated message and so everywhere I go I come to share a very simple message with you um, and with with those who God sends me to and in fact I've actually decided if somebody brings to me a complicated gospel I decide it's not the gospel because Jesus came and made it very simple what the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the teachers of the law were making so complicated for the people and so complex and he came and simplified it did he not and he made it easy. So easy that crowds would follow him. That crowds would run around the lake to beat him to the other side. Why? Because he came and made so simple what was so heavy to them from the religious leaders. And so, if I hear a complicated gospel, I throw it away and I decide it's not the gospel. Because Jesus came and simplified it so everyone could hear. Amen? Amen. And so, I'm not going to bring you a complicated message. And I always come and I'm going to bring a simple message. In fact, Jesus is God-simplified. But in the simplicity of Christ, do we not discover the profoundness of God? And always in that simplicity. And so my simple message is this. There is nothing the nearness of Christ cannot overcome in your life. There is absolutely nothing His nearness cannot overcome in your life. Now, i had people come to me and say, well, brother, you're going to have to change your message. You're going to have to change your message. You're going to have to tell everybody that there's nothing the nearness of Christ cannot overcome except for Bill's life. But by the time I got finished with Bill, he came back to me and said, you're right. There is nothing his nearness cannot overcome. But do we believe that? Have we come to believe that today? That I have Christ on one hand and my problems on the other. And when my problems become my focus... I'm overwhelmed, I'm undone, I burn up and I burn out and I go sideways every time. But when Christ is my focus, do my problems go away? I was in South America uh, preaching and, uh, and I said that question, I said, when Christ is your focus, do your problems go away? And all across the auditorium, see, 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 yes, yes. I said, really? I said, well, what are you doing different that I'm not? What have you discovered in your Christianity that I haven't? And then they all kind of started to chuckle a little. I said, how many of you here came with problems today? And it was like they started doing the wave across the auditorium. All the hands went up. I said, you all lied to me. You lied to me. And of course, they started to chuckle. I said, every one of you has proven my point. Each of you came with problems here today. But I came up and I got asked to come and speak. And you had that problem and I started to talk about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he continues to do, who he wants to be in your life, what he's doing in your life. And slowly you got your eyes on him. And then I looked at them. I said, you're all smiling. Why are you all smiling? I said, it's very simple. When Christ is your focus, your problems don't go away. Well, what's the difference then? Why do I make Christ my focus? Because when Christ is my focus, my problems no longer overwhelm me anymore. Because I see the solution to every problem in my life. I see the God who's bigger than anything that can come into my life. Amen. And so I'm simply going to talk with us about getting Christ to become our focus. Jesus said, Fix your eyes on on your spouse, the author and perfecter of your life. Oh, sorry, Pastor. Um, Fix your eyes on your work, the author and perfecter of your life. Fix your eyes on your problems. Now, what do he say? Fix your eyes on me. And how far do you have to look to find them? Where does he live? Thank you. Sister, turn around and show the people. <laughs> Uh, When I was in a a Spanish-speaking country, and it sounds so beautiful in their language, mi corazón, my heart. Does he not live there? So how far do you have to look? If you all get up and leave this room to go find me, are you going to find me? Are you? No, why? Because I'm right here. And if you go looking for Jesus in any other place than where he lives, are you going to find him? No, because where does he live? He lives right here. He was there the whole time. He just didn't recognize it. And some of you went to a building to go find him, but you just couldn't find him. Some of you went to a bookstore to go find him, and you just couldn't find him. Some of you bought a book and you went to find him in there, but you just couldn't find him. Some of you opened up your Bible to go find him. Where is he? Where does he live? He's right here. I spent far too much of my early Christianity looking for Jesus without. I spent the last half of it looking within where he really is. I've just come to believe it. Didn't he say, I and my Father have come and made our home in you. Your bodies are now the temple for my holy dwelling. When you woke up in the morning, where was Jesus? He's right here. When you walk throughout your day, where is Jesus? When you're at work or at home with the kids, where is Jesus? He's right here. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, where is Jesus? He's right there. Have you recognized it? Have you tapped into the life that's living right in you? Everybody put out your hand like this. Don't knock the person in front of you. And wave at your chest. And say, hello, Jesus. Hello, God. Hello, Holy Spirit. I know it seems silly, doesn't it? But it's so profound, isn't it? Isn't it true? That he lives right there. And every morning before I get up out of bed, I put my hand over my heart. I say, Jesus, I recognize you. I know you're right here. This day is not a day for a man. This day needs divinity. So you come and be the divine in through me today. You come and be the father that I never could be. You come be the husband that I never could be. You come be the speaker that I could never be. I don't want to give these people something like you. They need exactly you. So you come be through me what I never could be. Amen? And you get up and you go. It's the abiding life of Christ. Am I doing something? Amen? Should I drop it down, maybe? Is it okay? All right. Amen. Now, I will be the first to tell you this that I am not a great man of God. So if anybody has any ideas that I'm a great man, I'm going to kill it right now. I am not a great man of God. In fact, I've never met any great men or women of God. I've met a lot of famous people, authors, speakers. But you know what? I've come to discover there's not one single great man or woman of God And I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a great man of God, but I'm a weak man who believes in a great God. That's the difference. It's not me who's great, it's God. So over the course of these next three days, we won't lift up a man, because that's not going to help us. But we will lift up the Christ in this man, for he's worthy to be lifted up and praised. Jesus gives us a secret in the book of John. He said, if I be lifted up from this earth, I will draw all men to myself. So it's not going to be me, but it's going to be him. So we're just going to keep lifting up Jesus. Amen? Amen. And he will draw you, and he'll speak to you what you exactly need to hear. Because we don't need to hear from this man. Amen. In Matthew 11, it says this, Come unto me, all who are strong. God, life figured it out, and I'll give you rest. Is that what it says? Now, I know my theology is very bad, isn't it? It says, Come unto me, all who are weak, weary, and heavy hearted, heavy burdened. Then I'll give you rest. And I realized something years ago Jesus only calls the weak, He doesn't call the strong. Because He lets you come to discover that you are weak, that you couldn't do this life on your own. I'll be one of the biggest cream puffs you'll ever meet. I tried to live this Christian life for years and I worked and I worked and I worked. But I just couldn't do it. I've only met one man who's ever lived the Christian life. Do you want to know who he is? Jesus. Because he's the only one who ever could live it. We thought that Jesus came to earth to show us what we could do. But he came to earth to show us what we couldn't do and only he could do through us. Amen. We needed him. He wants us to come to that place of weakness. And if you're strong, He's waiting till you come to that place. He says, Come unto me all who are weak, weary, heavy burdened. And then I'll give you the rest. Then you'll discover my perfect rest. Is this gospel message, is it available for every person in this world? Is it? Is that what we believe? That this gospel message is available for every person. Really? Even the very weakest person in this world? I get to use this now, right? Do I have to point it somewhere? Oh. Now, we're down in the Amazon jungle, and I believe I've met the weakest man in this world. Now, if you look at him here, um, this is his head and this is just his body. And over here, it's kind of hard to see with this, but that's his bag of intestines and there's a tarp on the ground. He has no legs, no limbs, no arms. He's just a head with a, with a little cavity and he's propped up on a little thing that, is, that his body is on. And he's sitting there and he's, uh, he has, a, you can't, it's kind of hard to see with this slide, but he's got a pencil in his mouth and he's, and he's painting butterflies. And he has this donation box out and people can throw in money. And that's what he does. Now, is the gospel available for this person? Is it? Is it really? But he can't do anything. He can't speak. He can't walk. He can't do anything with his hands. He's just a head. And God wanted me to show me something. In my journey, and as I looked at this, my, my friend, who brought me this picture, I've been to the Amazon a few times, but this one trip, where he took this picture of this guy, um, I gave up my seat because uh, we we needed uh, there was just a tremendous need for medical doctors. So so we I gave up my seat and I went home a little bit early. And my friend who was there, he said, "Chad, I have something that I need to show you because I believe God has something for you in this." And so he's telling me about this and I just couldn't believe him. I mean, he's describing this thing and I just couldn't believe him. I said, oh man, you, you always tell your fishing stories. You know, he just kept getting bigger and bigger and more creative. He says, all right, oh you of little faith, next time I see you, I'll bring a picture to you. And he brought me the picture and he gave it to me and he said, Chad, I believe God has something that He wants to speak to you in this. So I took it. Well, he was telling me the story. He laid up at night and he couldn't sleep. He just couldn't sleep. He was with his brother on this ministry trip. Um, when I left them, his brother his brother was with them, and they went down there and they saw this head, and, and he just couldn't believe it. He thought nobody would believe me, that's why he took the picture. Well, I proved him right. And he took the picture of this guy, and he laid awake at night. He said he was up till three o'clock in the morning. He just couldn't sleep. And he leaned over, and they're huddled in this little hut of a place because your sleeping arrangements in, in these remote places aren't aren't the best. And so he's huddled up in this little kind of hut thing and he whispers over to his brother, he says, hey, are you awake? And his brother says, yes. He says, are you thinking about the head? His brother says, yeah. He says, yeah, I can't get him out of my head either. And it vexed him. I mean, it's vexing to look at almost, isn't it? God, why would you create something like that? Why would you create someone like that? And so he prayed and asked the Lord. He said, God, why would you you create someone like that to be like that? Why would you do that? You know what God answered him? He said, Michael, I'm not going to tell you. But here's what I am going to tell you. Wherever you go, wherever I send you, all around this world, don't tell Christians to do what this head couldn't do. Because the message is for him too. And then I pondered on those words. And I knew what God wanted me to hear. Wherever I go, wherever God sends me, every place that I'm speaking, I'm not going to tell any Christian to do what this head couldn't do. Because the gospel's for him too, amen? amen. It's still for him too. And all my doctrines and all my theologies that I went to Bible college and seminary classes for to work it all out, I had a nice packaged Christianity. I mean, I spent a lot of money and a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of study to get my doctrines and theologies all nicely worked out. And then God sends me to places where it doesn't work. Well, now what do I do? I was in an Indian village. I was in India last uh, uh, six, six to eight months ago, whatever it was now. And I'm in this remote Indian village And these pastors travel three days down from the mountains to come to hear because they heard a white man came to a remote village to to share with them a message. And so for three days, these pastors come down from the the mountains. And they're illiterate. They can't read or write. They're uneducated. So what do I have to tell them? I can't tell them to read their Bible because they can't even read or write. But they've seen God in the created things and the things around them that He's created. And they had a faith like you wouldn't believe, but they didn't have a Bible. Well, how does that work? And a lot of my theology was wrapped up around getting people to read this. So now what do I do? And then I have a friend who has severe dyslexia. Dyslexic. He can't read or write. When he reads, all the letters are mixed up around. And somebody says to me, well, you can get the Bible on tape, On CD, I said, well, he lives in a place where there's no power. So now what? Is the gospel still for him? You know, when I needed my doctrine and my theology the most, it fails me every time. But the relationship that he has with me has never failed me. Amen. And I believe, as you do, that the gospel is available for this man too. So God says, we've got to wipe the slate clean. And now let me show you what this Christian life really is. Let me show you. And God brings me to the weak places of the world to share with me what the Christian life really is. I said to God one day, I said, God, couldn't you have shared this with me before I spent all that money on college and seminary? I mean, he sure could have used the money. He said, no, because you needed the contrast. You would never have come to understand this if you never walked through that first. Would you understand the grace and the love of Jesus Christ if you never experienced the law? It's only so sweet to you because you've been under law. That's what makes the grace and love so sweet. Amen? You only know that's a soft chair because you've experienced a hard chair. You can only say it's soft because you've experienced hard. Amen? We only know it's a hot day because in Alberta we experience snowy cold days. I only know it's a nice warm day here because I've experienced cold. Amen. That's how we learn. Amen. We need contrast in our life. But so many of us are getting caught in the problem. How would you know you needed a Savior if you never experienced a problem? You only know you need a Savior because you experienced the problem. Amen. And so many of us are getting tripped up over problems. But God's not fighting them. He's using them for your good. And they act like the sheepdog nipping at your heels driving you back into the arms of the shepherd. Amen. When you read in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament in your Bible, what happens to the Israelites when everything is going tickety-boo, peachy king, going swell? What happened? They walked away. They forgot about their God. But what happened when they had trials and tribulations, failures, mess up, screw up, enemies on the doorstep? What happened then? Huh, they walked back to their God. They remembered Him. Is it any different for you or I today? Is it? Are we so different? No. You see, we want to stop. I decided one day, a long time ago, I'm going to stop fighting the problem. And God said, good. He said, good? Because I realized He wasn't. He was using them for my good to keep driving me back to Him. It's what He's using in my life to keep me coming back to Him, just like the Israelites. Amen. So there really are no problems, just opportunities for God to prove his faithfulness to you again and again and again. Amen. See, we need to have a different look at the way we see problems and failures. And we think they're wiping us out, but that the very thing that's God using to bring us in, whatever you think is taking you out today, God's using it to, to take you in. Whatever you think is bringing you down, God's using to lift you up. He's the king of the upside-down kingdom. Amen. (laughs) Paul said three times he prayed. Three times it says he pleaded with the Lord. Pleaded, begged, God, please take this thorn out of my flesh. Would you please? He said, I pleaded three times. Pleaded, begging to the Lord, please take this thorn out of my flesh. Would you just please take my spouse out of my life? Just kidding. Take this problem away. Do you remember what God said to him? Paul. Do you not know that my grace is sufficient for you? Have you not yet learned? Do you not yet know that my power is made perfect in your weakness? For every place you admit you're weak, then I'll be your strength. How many here want to be stronger Christians? Now let me count all the unbelieving believers in the room. Bad joke. But that's what we all say. Why are we defining a stronger Christian? Because he says to be weak. And I'll be your strength. And I hear this. Christians all around the world. I want to be strong. I want to be stronger. But his goal for you is to be weaker. Because God will do some when there's a lot of you. He'll do more when there's less of you. But he'll do everything when there's none of you. Amen. He's waiting for you to come to that place of weakness so he can be your complete strength. But you all want to be stronger. And normally what a stronger Christian is, read my Bible more and more every day, a chapter a day, keep Satan away, and pray longer and longer, get on my knees and fight like a man, and go and get lost people saved because that's what I need to do. Do all the do's and don't do the don'ts. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew. Don't go with girls or boys who do. And that's our definition of a strong Christian, the Christian life. And the world's going, oh yeah, sign me up, that sounds like fun. How come we don't say, it's a life of peace? A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that the world knows not. It's a life of joy, an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a life of rest. Rest from all worries and problems. Because I have a God. How come we never hear that definition? Because all of our Christian life is wrapped up in the doo-doos. We get up in the morning and we put on our doo-doo glasses and everywhere we go we doo-doo. We just doo-doo all over the place. And Jesus wants you to put on your done glasses. I've done that. I've done that and I want to do it through you. I don't know about you, but when Jesus was up on the cross, did he say to be Continued? or it is finished. It is finished. The work's been done. Is there anything you need to do that he hasn't done yet? Was it completed? Or wasn't it? Was it? Or wasn't it? What does this Christian life mean? Everywhere around the world I go, the most popular question I get asked, Chad, what does the normal Christian life look like? Because my life seems anything but normal. So what does it look like? And that's what we're going to talk about over these next three days. My power is made perfect in weakness. How many of you can name at least three weaknesses of Pastor Jason? Only three. At least three. (laughs) (laughs) Because if your pastor has no weaknesses, God's power cannot be perfected through him. Because his power is made perfect in weakness. But everybody expects the pastor to be whole. He's a complete man. He's been ushered to the fourth heaven. He's reached an echelon of Christianity that I just never could. Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) I've been given the senior Holy Spirit and you all the junior one. (laughs) Sorry. No. It's one and the same Spirit. We're all built with the same engine. You just haven't recognized it yet. Amen. Amen. Weakness is complete salvation because in your weakness you'll discover his strength. In your stupidity you'll discover his wisdom. In your sadness you'll discover his joy. In your defeat you'll discover his victory. Amen. Does he not promise, I work a few things for the good of those who love me? Oh, sorry. See my. I work some things for the good of those who love me. Now, what does it say? I work all things. Do you really believe that? Even your failures? Even your problems? See, if you have no problems and no failures, then why do you need Jesus? We got you. He knew all that already. He's not fighting it, He's using it in your life to drive you back to Him who lives within. Amen. The God of the universe. Have you ever pondered that? the God of this universe lives in you and me today. Amen. That's profound. That's the abundant Christian life when we begin to recognize what's always been there ever since the first day you invited him in. Amen. He says, I take the strong things of this world to shame the wise and the strong. No. I take the the weak things of this world. So is your goal to be stronger or weak? Because God says, I take the weak things to shame the wise and the strong. So if I ever come here again and ask you the question, I say, who's weaker this year than they were last year? And I hope to see a handful, room full of hands. I'm weaker today. And He's stronger through me today. And the goal of my life is in every area of my life, I want to become weak so He can be my strength. And that takes a bit of a journey, doesn't it? As the Australians say, got to go walk about. I have to walk about for a while till I discover Him in every year of my life that I have no strength outside of Christ. He is my strength. Amen. You know, the world doesn't need another example of a perfect Christian. That's not what the world needs. They need to see weak Christians who believe in a great God. That's what they need to see. But we want to paint a picture that we're this flawless people. Never screw up. Never make mistakes. Do all the do's. Don't do all the don'ts. Cross the T's and dot the I's. But has that been true in your life? Is life always like that for you? No. They need to see weak people who believe in a great God. Amen. Amen. That's what the world needs to see. Well, we've all suffered under pyramid preaching. To some degree, all of us have suffered under it. And my pyramid preacher, I recognize this. They'll come up and speak. And many of you have suffered under it already. You'll have evangelists, missionaries, preachers, pastors, leaders come up and they'll speak. And you're sitting out there. And at the end of their message, you realize somebody wins and somebody loses. And at the end of his message, guess who loses? Well, all of you. And guess who wins? He does every time. And in a secret way, in a hidden way, He's going to tell you what He has and what you don't have. And you need what He has in His ministry. And we've all suffered under it. And in a secret way, in a hidden way, He'll define for you what spirituality is. But that's not my message. I haven't come here to tell you what I have and what you don't. What my ministry has figured out, and you just all need to hear it, you need to have it. That's not my message. I've come here to tell you what I have and what you've always had ever since the first day we invited him in. That you have the same thing that I have. Isn't that nice that I can sit here and stand here and tell you there's nothing that I have to give you that you don't already have? There's nothing that I have to give you that you don't need? I just want you to recognize what's always been there. I'm not here to put more of Christ into you. I'm here to help you recognize the Christ that's always been there. Amen. That's my message. I'm not going to stand on top of a pyramid. I'm going to stand here with you. If this was down there, I'd be down there with you. Because we're all on the same playing field, are we not? There's no master nor slave, nor Greek nor Jew, nor male nor me female. We're all one, the same, in Christ Jesus. Amen. I've just come to believe that. So I've just come here to share with you what you've always had ever since the first day you invited him in. What can I teach you that you don't already have? So I don't come as a teacher because I can't teach you what you don't already have. So I come as a witness. I come to witness what you've always had ever since the first day you invited him in. Amen? The day you came to Christ, was there not a smile that came over your face? A lightness in your step? A joy in your spirit. Amen? And then what happened? You started a journey, it went away, and the Christian life got difficult. The day you came to Christ, were you not complete? Were you? You're absolutely complete. Colossians 2 says, The fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form in you, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. Is something that's full complete? Well, I drank a little bit, but when I opened this thing, it was brimmed right to the top. It spilled out on me. God bless me all the time. And it was full. Is there anything else I could have put into this bottle of water? Was there anything else I could put into it? No, it was full. It was absolutely complete. I couldn't put anything else into it. So what can I put into you? You're full. You're complete. You just haven't recognized what's always been there. In Christ, you've been brought to fullness. You're full. You just haven't recognized what's always been there. So I'm not here to put something into you. You're already full. I'm just here to help you recognize what's always been there. The fullness of Christ in you, the all-sufficient Savior. Amen? He is our all-sufficient Savior. Am I done now? I don't even know when I started, brother. That's a big clock, so that knows, Preacher, you better stop on time. We want you to see that thing. Well, amen. All right. I'm here as a witness. I'll have to share this other story. As I travel around, I've discovered this, that 85% of Christians live in defeat, lacking victory lacking peace, lacking joy. The Christian life has become very difficult, very hard. But I've come to discover that the Christian life isn't difficult. It's just impossible. Because I can't do it. And he never said we could. He said he can. And always said he would live his life in through us. So what is this Christian life? What is this abundant life? Well, I'll end with this short little story because I think I've used up my time, I believe. Um, my friend was in India. And I've been to India and I, I know what it's like there. And it's, a, it's an interesting place to be. It's really smelly there. Man, they just throw their garbage everywhere. And every time you get off a plane, you just smell it. It's just a big stink. But I really enjoyed my time there, and minus the uh, three weeks that I was sick. But um, amen. It the contrast I needed, I guess. God's always blessing me like that all the time. And I'm there. My friend was there one time, and there's these Hindu sadhus. A sadhu is a is a Hindu priest or Hindu teacher, priest or teacher. And it's funny. They're dressed up in these flashy yellow garments. They're the ones you see on the side of the road attaining enlightenment. You know, a picture of the ha. Uh, you know, they got the long beards and and all kinds of hair flowing all over them. And, and when you go there, they, they, they're, they're used to uh, tourists coming in to get their picture with them. So when they saw me, this big tall white Caucasian man, they said, come here, give a picture, five bucks, five bucks. I said, forget it. How about you take a picture with me and you give me five bucks to get a picture with me? You know, he didn't go for that. And so, but you see all these Hindu sadhus. And, uh, and they're all in the sign of the roads line. light. And some of them play their sitars. You, you've heard sitar music before, you know, you know, all this kind of music and my friend's traveling all about one of their great cities and he's running into all these Hindu sadhus playing these sitars. And he came across this one Hindu, this old Hindu teacher, this old Hindu sadhu, and his hand never moved. It just stayed there. Twang, twang, twang. And he said he sat there for 30 minutes wondering when is the movement gonna come? And it just wasn't coming. For 30 minutes, his hand just stood there playing the same thing. Twine. So finally he said, well, I'm going to keep going here. And he walked across the knee and he ran over to all these other Hindu sadhus and their fingers were moving all up and down that fretboard of that sitar playing their music. By the end of the day, my friend, he's a real curious guy, and so he said, I've got to go back and see if this man's hand has moved yet. And so he goes back at the end of the day, it was getting close to supper time, and he finds the old Hindu sadhu still there. And he watched him for another 20 minutes and his hand still hadn't moved. Twang, twang, twang. And he says, oh man, I've got to ask this old man what's going on. And so he walked up the old Hindu sadhu and he said, excuse me old man, I said I've been all around your great city and I've run into many of you sadhus. And every other per- sadhu I ran into is playing their sitar. Their hand is moving all up and down the fretboard of their sitar, moving all around, playing lots of notes. But I watched you at the beginning of the day for 30 minutes, and now I've seen you for 20 minutes, and your hand still hasn't moved. And I doubt it's moved all day. He said, what's going on? And he said, the old Hindu sadhu looked up at him, and he said, excuse me, young man. I want you to hear this, and I want you to listen good. And so my friend said, he leaned in. He said this, I've just found the one note that they're all looking for. (laughs) Well, amen. Do you know what? I found the one note. I found the one note that everybody's looking for. And I'm going to play this one note till the day that He takes me home with Him. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And everywhere I go and everywhere I travel, I hear everybody has a different focus. Our church's focus is discipleship. Our church's focus is evangelism. Our church's focus is musical worship. Our church's focus is pastoral preaching. Our church's focus is youth ministry. Our church's focus is seniors ministry. Our church's focus is the Bible. Our church's focus is ministry to cats and dogs. And finally I stopped and I said, I'm just wondering, where's the church that's focus is still on Christ? Where's that church? Because when we get our focus on Him, everything falls into its proper place. I have one note. Paul had one message, the Apostle Paul. He said to Timothy and the Corinthians, he said, I'm sending you my son Timothy to the Corinthians. I'm sending you my son Timothy who will tell you about my way of life in Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I'm not going to veer from this message. The Christian life is Christ. It's christ inuity. That's Christianity. It's all centered around Him and what that looks like in my life then. And that's why I do these seminars and conferences. Let's talk about that then. What does that look like? For Christ to be my life, as Paul says. Christ who is my life. For me to live is Christ, he says. What does that mean? What does that look like? So I only have one note to play. And I'm going to twang it all the way through these next three days. You know, I've narrowed my Christian life down to just three things that a believer needs. I used to have a really big list when I first started. But I've now I've finally got it narrowed down to just three things that a believer needs. You want to hear what it is? One, Jesus. Two, Jesus. And three, Jesus. Amen? Is there anything you could find outside of Him that you need? Or is everything found in Him? that you already have? Good question.
0: Amen?